Good, great, alive, wonderful, blessed. I hope you feel that way. We're going to continue on in our story. Hello, hello, can you hear me now? I want to spend a little bit more time last week. We're just, I love the fact that we're getting to go through the Bible, not in its entirety, not all, all 1189 verses, but uh, close to it, uh, chapters. We're going through a lot of them, uh, but we have to skip a little bit if we want to actually get through in 31 weeks, and so we're hitting some high spots. But there's some other high spots that we haven't been able to get to. And so I want to finish out on last week by covering a little... I know I took 42 minutes and still didn't get done. But I had something I really wanted us to look at at the end of last week. Most of you are familiar with Joshua chapter 24, even if you don't know it. Somewhere on a wall in your house, you probably have hanging Joshua chapter 24 verse 15. Joshua starts off the book just as powerfully uh, as it ends. It's going to end in just in the same way. God starts off and he says, be strong and courageous. Three times he says that. Joshua goes to the people and he says, I'm supposed to lead you. And they said, we'll follow you. Just be strong and courageous. Chapter 1 of Joshua, chapter 24. Fast forwarding through lots of battles and bloodshed. And finally, there's peace in the land. And Joshua nearing his death at the ripe age of 110, goes before his people. And he says, remain faithful to God and get rid of of these other gods. And he says, but if choosing the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24. But here's what I really want to get at. This is great because they say, the people respond, far be it from us to leave the Lord and go after these other gods. And so you've got it settled, right? Joshua says, you choose. They said, we have chosen. We choose God. So that's the end of the story, right? No. Joshua kind of okey-dokes them a little bit. And he says this. He says, no, you can't. He says this. Look with me, Joshua chapter 24, verse 19. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus and Joshua, actually same name. And I've kind of gotten ahead of myself. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But all the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Boy, isn't that a great... Don't you wish you could just kind of close and that's the Old Testament right there? Can we just stop there? I mean, it's beautiful. They went through these... Yeah, there was a rough time in the desert. Lots of complaining. But they finally got it together, right? Everything's good. We will serve the Lord! It's all good. And and we can end now. Jesus can come. But that's not how it happens, does it? Not at all. Because after Joshua, Joshua comes the book of Judges. And then when you get Judges, you get some good, 
and lots and lots of bad. And we're going to read a little bit more about that. But this time, how many of you have been reading this story? Have you have y'all been keeping up with it? Let me just let me tell you, we're not near halfway through, but this is what typically happens when you say I'm going to read through the Bible. If most of the time you can hardly make it through Leviticus or Numbers, they get kind of tough. Lucky for you, we're already past that. And we're going to get into some more exciting things and some unusual things. But I want to go ahead and give you a quick pep talk real quick. What we do here on Sunday mornings as we're doing this study is just a snippet. I am hoping in some way to to give you a condensed, clarified version of what's going on here, which is a condensed, clarified version of what's going on in here. So here's, here's the meat. You know, here's it trimmed down just a little bit. I'm giving you, hopefully, a morsel. I hope it's a good morsel, but it's just a little piece, okay? So I want you to imagine what's happening here right now is you taking a drink of water from a water bottle, okay? Just a nice little filtrated sip of goodness, okay? But when you read this, this is the Word of God. This is like drinking from a waterfall, okay? You can't compare the two. And so if you have uh, slacked on your reading, repent. We're only eight weeks in, so that's eight chapters you're behind if you hadn't read to this point. If you don't have a book, come see me. I'll get you a book. You can't have this one, but I'll give you one. And you can take it, and within an hour and a half, you can be caught up. This This is the Word of God. Okay, it's coming straight from here. This is the NIV. It's, it's really, really worth reading. So if you're behind on your reading, I want to encourage you to pick up. It's not too late. Even if you say, eh, I'm too far to get caught up, just pick up and start chapter 9 this week when you get home. It's just a few pages. Every chapter is usually less than 20 pages. Won't take you long. Okay, so there's my disclaimer. But just in case... You have not heeded my warnings. We're going to take just a moment, and we're going to read some of this. So if you have this with you, feel free to open it up. We are, in fact, on chapter 8. That's page 105. And I I just want to go through, and I want to read something, okay? This, again, I'm reading through as excerpts from the Bible, so this is what you're getting a part of this. Um, Here we go uh, right here. The people served the Lord, I'm starting the very first. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance uh, at Timnath, Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of of Mount Gosh. Okay. After that generation had been gathered to their ancestors. That's a nice way of saying that they had all died. Another generation grew up who neither knew who knew, who knew neither the Lord nor what Israel what he had done for Israel. Can I start that sentence over again? Because I think we all got lost in my tongue tie. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. 
There's two big things that just happened. And this is really important if you're a parent or a grandparent or you know kids or you have any desire in the word being passed on. What happened? The older generation died. And the the new generation, they grew up not knowing God. Now something really bad happened. What was that? There were no teachers. There was no one willing to step up and say, let me tell you about the God who delivered us from Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who led us through the wilderness, who gave us the land. None of that. Nobody knew. And what happens when you don't know God? You live in sin. You you turn to someone else. That's exactly what had happened. They had stopped talking about who God was. And all of a sudden there was a new generation who didn't know God. And so what happens when you don't know God? You live a life of sin. When I was in college, I was in a social club. And that social club, you could begin pledging as a sophomore. So if you were a, I don't know if normal is the right word, but if you followed the typical path in which you were in college for four years, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and a lot of my friends, they're called the 50-year seniors. <laughs> I was done by my fourth year. I says, I'm, I'm getting out of here. But sometimes five. And so here was the deal. If a social club got into a little bit of trouble, they would reprimand them and they would say, ah, you're off campus for a semester, maybe two semesters. But if they really wanted to do a social club in, guess what? It was really simple. Suspend the club for three years, maybe four. We're not talking about 20. We're not talking about 30. Why only three or four years? Because by the time that those who were in the club had waited out their three to four year sentence, although I did know one guy who was in there for six years, he would have been the only one left standing. And guess what? That club is gone. It's off campus. There's no one there to pass the torch. And so that club is forever forgotten. Right? And this is what happens with God. When people don't pass on the torch, it ends right there. So teaching is so vital. We have to continue to learn ourselves and be willing to teach other people. And this is what they had forgotten. And so I want to read through here. We're going to skim through here. I just underlined, and I may have missed some, but I want to underline some areas in which... The Israelites, throughout the period of the judges, failed to be the faithful people that God had called them to be. So we just read one of them. After another generation grew up, uh, knew neither the Lord nor what had happened for Israel, so they, they really didn't teach. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baal. They served the Baals. There were many more. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and go on. The... Uh, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and they served Baal and the Asheroths. Okay, let's go ahead and go on. I'm already off numbered. I number these and I'm way off. They would not listen to the judges, 
Six, seven, they prostituted themselves. Eight, to other gods and they worshipped them. Nine, quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors. Number ten, we're one and a half pages into the reading. And here's their tenth one. People returned uh, to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Eleven, they refused to give up evil practice and, and kept in their stubborn ways. Number twelve, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Thirteen, they forgot the Lord their God. Fourteen, they served Baals and the Asherahs. Then they cried out to the Lord. But again, eventually, sixteen, the people of God of Israel turned away from God again. Seventeen, it, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. And we're going to come back to this, but let's look at number eighteen. The people, forgetting their special relationship with God, 16, began to adopt surrounding cultures, 17, joining their unconquered neighbors in pagan worship. I've completely lost count, but we should be about 20 now. Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 21, God says to them, but you have not listened to me. There's some more cries for help and more pleas, and we get through Gideon, and you think, oh, so we're finally done with all this. But unfortunately, it doesn't really end there. It picks back up with uh, problem number 22. They began prostituting themselves to the bells. 23, they set up Baalbear as their, their god. 24, they did not remember their God. 25, the Israelites forgot their faithful, holy God. I love this, but right in the middle of it, God is still working. 26, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Did anybody remember reading these over and over again? We're still not done yet. At the very end, 27, after Samson, the Israelites continued their pattern of spiritual compromise. In one chapter, compromising basically most of Judges. 27 times it's mentioned that they're unfaithful, that they chose other gods, that they prostituted themselves, that, that they uh, built uh, and worshipped Baals and the Asheroth poles. Over and over again. Did somebody remember what Joshua twenty four fifteen and following says? And he says, you can't do it. And they say, yes, we can. We'll never forget God. And they did. They walked away. And it's, it's frustrating, to say the least, to hear this over and over and over again. And I don't know if you're like me, but as you read this, as you look through Judges and read all this up and down and up and down, you, you say, I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. I, I really think, God, you're getting abused. Get rid of them. They're just not worth it. They're terrible people. Look what they've done. Over and over again, they've done it. I just want to say, God, just get rid of them. I'm very upset with Israel and what they've done. The promise that God made to Abraham after 700 years has finally come to fruition. They're living in this land. Things should be great. And as soon as peace hits, they leave God. And I get angry. And I think that's not fair. That's not right. God, you've got to do something about it. 
And God is going to do something about it. But let me tell you, my, my cry for justice gets muted when I think about my life. For the Israelites, I scream, justice, God, do something. They deserve something bad. But for me, when I make a mistake, over and over and over and over again, I don't want justice. What do I want? I want mercy. How often, as a people, do we cry for justice until we're the ones who need the gavel on us? You see, just like it was when Jesus shared the parable of the man who was forgiven of his great debt, and then he immediately went out and he roughed up his own fellow servant says, you owe me a few bucks. You're going in jail until I get it. You see, the cry for justice is always made louder until it falls against us. And so, as a reminder, if you read this and underlined and scribbled furiously and said, this is number 27 that they did this. I can't believe that God showed mercy upon them. I'm grateful. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful that we serve a God of mercy? We could spend a lot of time in here. And, and I wish we could spend a lot of time with Samson. Because he does basically the same things that they do, doesn't he? I mean, he, he, he seems as though he just can't quite get it right. At least when it comes to girls, doesn't it? He has lots of problems when it comes to women. And I'm not going to blame the women. I'm going to blame Samson. But I find it just a little bit odd that his wife would come to him and say, Hey, I got a great question. How can I tie you up in such a way that if somebody were to come in the door, you would be like completely unable to get out of, of being bound up and they could, you know, basically rough you up? What kind of question is that, by the way? Can you? I would be a little suspicious if Jennifer says, you know, how can I completely turn you over to your enemies? That's not a kind of question I want to answer. But he does, wrongly, three different times, and she pouts, and she gets mad, and she cries through the feast, and finally he says, you know what, I'm so tired of it, I, just, I can't take it anymore just go, here's what happens. Shave my head, and that's what happens. And you think about Samson as he's there between the pillars, praying to God with his eyes gouged out. And you kind of think to yourself, well, he deserved it. Because he just, he wouldn't stay faithful to God who was always faithful to him. And some of you think, maybe like I have, and maybe this is a little bit of a confession, that I say to Samson and those who are in his camp, I say, he had it coming. Didn't you see it coming? I mean, after the third time that you say, well, this is how I really get tied up and can't get out, and it happens again, he wakes up and sure enough, he's got his hair braided you know, into this, this thread, and all of a sudden he stands up and says, she, 
she comes to him. She says, you've made a fool of me. Who's, who's the real fool here? And so while I want to really chastise Samson, I have to remember. I need mercy just like him. And in fact, it's through these rough times that God can be most evident. Uh, if you have your songbooks with you, uh, which you do because they're, they're right there, grab one and turn to 213. If you were asleep, you're not anymore because you just heard me say, I don't know what it is about that, but growing up as a child, especially younger, I didn't do it quite so much as a teenager, maybe a little bit, but sometimes I would get um, sleepy when the, the preacher would preach. I know that doesn't happen to any of you. But for some reason, no matter how tired, no matter how deep of a sleep I would fall into, if somebody said the words, please come as we stand and sing, that was like an alarm clock that went off into my head. I have no idea. I've been thinking I'm going to make an alarm clock that says that. Forget the beep, because the beep doesn't wake me up. But if I had an alarm clock that says, as we stand and sing, I will be up out of my bed, ready to go that morning. So, let's all stand. We're not going to sing, though. But what we've been studying, and maybe this is just a little uh, uh, of a, a proclamation. Maybe I'm trying to sell this a little bit. But on Wednesday nights, we're meeting, and we're asking questions, and tr- attempting to address and hopefully answer some questions that you have asked about church, spirituality, and everything in general. And we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about uh, communion. Right now we're talking about what music uh, is in worship. And so we started this last week, and we started talking about songs that we sing and why do we even sing in the first place. So I'm going to need a little help because I don't want to sing, and I'm not going to ask you to sing, but I need a few people that will help me out. I want you to read a little bit for me. And so I'm going to start off with I'm randomly picking people. I have it in my mind, but they don't know. Carolyn Raymond, I would like you to read the first sentence of 213, would you please? Okay, he is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. Lynn, I know you know this song. Can you uh, read that second verse, I mean that second sentence? Pat Elston, will you read the third sentence, please? Everyone together, this, starting at the, the end of this third, he is able. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. Do you believe that? You read it. Everybody, you can have a seat. I want you to think about that, those words that you sang earlier and may or may not thought of as you were actually singing those words. 
But for those of you who are allowing the words to come out of your mouth, what you're saying is, he's able to work through cancer that I have in my life. He's able to work through my grief. He's able to work through my physical ailments. He's able to work through my divorce. He's able to work through my stuttering. He's able to work through my apathy. He's able to work through my past. He's able to work through my, you know, right? You know what's going on in your life. God is able to work through your life. Do you believe that? He's able to do really powerful things. Now, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time, but we're going to spend the next five minutes before we close talking about Gideon. Does everybody know the story of Gideon? I love the story of Gideon. Gideon. The reason why is because I feel like I'm a whole lot like him. Maybe not always in the good parts, but some of the bad parts, that some of the times that he asked these questions, I think to myself, hey, I've kind of uttered those questions before. God comes to him after we've had over and over again, the Israelites have done bad things over and over again, and God says, I'm going to deliver my people again. If you want to know a word about judges, again is the word. It's kind of like Exodus. Again, God comes to them. Again, God delivers them. Again, God provides a miracle, parts the waters. It happened in Exodus at the Red Sea. It had happened uh, in Joshua at the Jordan. Again, God performs these miracles. So God comes to him, and he says, he says, listen to this. He says, I'm going to make you into a mighty warrior, and I'm going to deliver my nation. And, and Gideon, that's a really, really good question. He says, <clears throat> pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Do not, uh, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Isn't that a good question? Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever verbalized that before? I know lots of people, when you say, look at the terrible things, like what's going on in the Philippines right now, thousands of people are dead, and people are saying, you know, serve the Lord, pray to God, you know, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. time out. If there's a God, then why is this happening? Well, I think it's pretty simple, it, at least for judges. God wasn't their God. Not that he didn't choose them, but they didn't choose him. But God, once again, chooses Gideon and says, here we go. And he asks that question. And God says, well, I'm going to use you. And I love this again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, pardon me, Gideon replied. But, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You know what he just said? I'm the runt of the litter. I'm the worst of the worst. Can't you pick somebody else? Isn't there somebody bigger or stronger that has a better family, has a different pedigree, you know, that can hold up the sword really high and, and people listen? I'm not the one. And God says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving no one alive. 
So he goes and he prepares the sacrifice. Gideon, he does. And he comes back and this amazing thing happens. Uh, it, is, it is struck with fire by the angel of the Lord and it is consumed. And, and he gets really, really scared. And he says, he says, ah, I've seen the face of the Lord. And the Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So he's already seen miracle number one. So he's getting prepared. He's, he has now recognized that the angel of the Lord is speaking to him. And that he does in fact care for his people. And that he's going to use Gideon, the runt of the litter, to go out and, and save and deliver his people. And to prove it, he has this fire come down from the end of the staff. And it just completely evaporates it all. And he says, I'm going to die. And the angel says, no, you're not going to die. So we're all good, right? So Gideon's in the clear, right? Not quite. Because he does what I love best about Gideon. What is Gideon? What do we know about Gideon? What does he do? Does anybody ever hear talk about the idea of laying down your fleece? Has anybody ever used that phrase before? I'm going to lay down my fleece. Nope. Am I the only one? Am I just a little different? Because my wife and I, I think we have like a whole closet of fleece. Is it fleeces or is it just fleece I? We got a lot of fleece. And we've laid them down a lot. We laid down a lot of fleece before we would, you know, pick up stakes and move to New Mexico. We did. We laid down the fleece. We said, God... Is this really right? I mean, would you really send us here? We're the runt of the litter. You, you really want somebody else, right? Why, why would you send us to Hobbs? I'm from Texas, the great state. Don't send me there. I laid down the fleece. God, if this is really what you want, you better make sure. I want to know my prayer over and over and over again was, God, be blatant. And we laid out the fleece. Not literally, maybe not a fleece, but there's some things we, we kind of said, okay, we're going to set it up this way. And if this is how God's going to allow it to happen, then it's going to happen. And at one point we thought, this isn't right. This is not where God wants us to be. And so we said, you know what, this is probably not where we want to be. And that was a, a, a terrible night for us. When we said, you know what? We just don't know that this is where God wants us to be. This is still very early on in the process. And I remember that conversation I had with, with Randy Allen. That guy's the most persistent guy I've ever met in my life. Because I said, you know what? We've prayed about it. We've laid out the fleece. We just don't know if this is where God wants us. We hung up the phone and I said, I don't feel good about the decision we made. But I just feel relief that we've made a decision. You know what? And, and we prayed about it. And the phone rang several days. And I couldn't believe I looked down and I saw the area code was 575. I said, what in the world? Why would they call me? And Randy, called, and Randy said, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, are you sure? I said, I'm pretty sure. And so the fleece came out of the closet again. And eventually, maybe not good for you, but good for the crumbs, the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. 
And then the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. And then the house was sold and we moved here and all of a sudden we're starting a, a new chapter. And God was faithful to the runt of the litter. Just like He's faithful to each one of us. But the last thing I want us to see from this is just, it's real simple. You know what God wants from you? Not your brains, not your muscle, not your holier-than-thou attitude. He says, I just want you. I want you to trust in me. So Gideon compiles his men of 32,000. And God says, time out, that's too much. Have you ever heard of too big of an army? Has there ever been a commander that says, wow, we've got too many people? Have you ever heard of a banker that says, we have too much money, you know? Have you ever heard of a mother that says, we have too many children? Yeah, actually, you would say that. You, that would be okay. But you can, you can, too much of a good thing, right? And God says, too many. And so you know what he does? He says, ask them if they want to stay. 32,000 there, 22,000 said, you know what, I've, I got, I got some things to do at home. I got some chores to, you know what, I'll just go. Left with 10,000. That's like a third of their armies left. And God says what? That's too many. He says take them down by the river and have them drink water. And he says when you get down there, I'm going I'm to tell you who to pick and who not to. So they're all down drinking the water. And God says to them, okay, the ones with both hands on the ground, lapping the water like a dog. They're gone. Get rid of them. But the ones who have, you know, one hand on the ground, one hand on the, or one hand on the sword, and they're like scooping it up like this with their hand, keep them. Okay, and guess what happens? You know how many of those did that? 300. Less than 1% of his army is left. And if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, please, no more. And we know this story. If we don't read it, but we know the story. God uses Gideon and his 300 men to completely rout an entire army. So what does this mean for you? Learn new drinking habits? It means that God can use you in powerful ways. Even if you mess up over and over again. No matter how many times, God still remains faithful. It's going to happen again after the judges. They're going to complain. God's going to give them kings. And they're still going to fall down. And they're not going to listen to the prophets. And finally, God is going to say, I've had enough of it. I'm sending my son. God is faithful. He's faithful with you and for you. God is faithful. This morning... Think about how God can use you to be one of the 300. To go out and be a warrior for Him. God has chosen you. And we have lots of people who just need to know the Lord. If there is any way that we can help you as you prepare for battle and seek to reach the lost, we want to encourage you to join us in this fight as we show God's love and His mercy again. If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.